from regular expenses to occasional splurges, there's a lot to buy. Why not get cash back every time you spend? With the PenFed Power Cash Rewards Card, you get cash back on every purchase. That's everywhere, every time you use it. You can even earn a $100 statement credit when you spend $1,500 in the first 90 days. Visit PenFed.org slash PowerCash to apply. To receive any advertised product, you must become a member of PenFed, insured by NCUA. The in-OLED display in the Cadillac Escalade has 38 total diagonal inches of color display. So why do we give it a curve, too? I guess you could say we like to bend the rules. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving. for listening to Uncle Sam's Soccer Podcast, keeping you up to date with the latest in American soccer. And don't forget to subscribe. Hello, everyone, and welcome to an Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast special. I'm Steven Jodder, and joining me, as always, are Monica Fai. We are actually going to go international. We're going to go down to Argentina and talk about the situation down there with Peter Coates. Now, Armand and I have talked a lot about doing a special like this, and I think it's only a matter of time before we started to expand a little more international. Now, Armand... Argentinian football, how plugged in are we with that? Not necessarily as plugged in. I mean, the thing is, though, you kind of have to be now, especially as someone in MLS, because a lot of the Argentinians are coming up to Major League Soccer. I mean, what, Miguel Amaro was signed from Lanis. Um, uh, uh, you have Boca, you have River, you know, they've, they've kind of entered the mainstream with this whole Libertadores uh, battle, and, you know, the potential coach of Boca could be going to Atlanta United while the center attacking midfield River is actually reportedly going to Atlanta United. So, you know, I'm not necessarily as plugged in as obviously the guests we're going to have on today, but um, I think I'm slowly am starting to begin to get plugged in because the influence of Argentinian football is starting to make a big influence on MLS as a whole. Oh, absolutely. Now let's get to today's guest. Alrighty, listeners, we have a special guest on the line with us. Joining us from Buenos Aires is Peter Coates. You can follow him on Twitter at Galasso Argentino. He is the owner of GalassoArgentino.com. So get your latest Argentinian football news updates on that site. Peter, how's it going? Yeah, good. Thank you. Um, thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely. Now, to our listeners here in America, Peter, just kind of explain your footballing background and kind of how, you know, brought, what brought you down to Argentina. Uh, yeah, I mean, I've always been a, a massive football fan. I'm, I'm from England originally. Um, came to Buenos Aires um, initially as a, as a teacher some years ago, um, primarily choosing, certainly having a huge sway in the fact of deciding to come to Argentina. What was it? Football. And then started Golazo Argentina, the site. Um, when I was here, and then it and it just gradually grew from there. So I started writing for other places, um, doing podcasts and that sort of thing, and and uh, yeah, just sort of gradually increasing the amount of stuff that I, I tend to do around football here. 
Peter, you know, again, for our, our listeners in America who don't really follow Argentinian football, what what is football like uh, in Argentina? What's the passion? What's all that behind it over there? It's everything. I mean, I mean, what we saw, the 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 awful scenes surrounding this this Copa Libertadores final um, is not that uncommon, and it, and it, it it all comes from just this almost uncontrollable passion that people have for their clubs, and that that goes beyond just um, Boca and River. I think you know if you, if, if you speak to almost anyone um, of any of the clubs. In Buenos Aires, certainly, if you go to Rosario and speak to you know, Newells and Rosario Central supporters, they share that that same um, passion that, that that goes beyond just your your average um, fandom. And um, you know that that has undoubted positives. And the, the the match day experience in Argentina is unparalleled. And I think for a, for a football fan, you get an experience like no other by by coming to a game in this country but it does also have its its downsides and uh, as we'll get on to we have obviously seen that um on the on the largest scale possible at this Copa Libertadores final now peter a, a lot of people are familiar with Boca Juniors and River Plate but how does rivalry a rivalry like that compared to in particularly in Europe now we know there's a lot of social and political ties in Europe obviously with Barcelona and the political meaning of that club you know Celtic versus Rangers the Protestants versus the Catholics there and you know we understand what the national team like France did in 1998 now in 2018-2016 off after the the terrorism there but how does football really captivate the political and social dynamic in Argentina? I mean, Boca River rivalry doesn't have that element of, of a religious divide like, like some of the derbies you just mentioned or, or, or even a political one. I mean, there's, there's a... Um, the, the, the kind of traditional view of the, of the rivalry is, is one of River being the sort of middle to upper class club um, based in the in the sort of quite affluent area in the north of the city and, and Boca retaining this sort of working class background um, given that they're from a, a poorer area in the in the sort of um, mouth of the river but the truth of the actual demographic of, of the two sets of supporters is, is almost identical um, and it's because of the fact that they're so wide uh, wide ranging I mean the numbers of supporters is so much bigger than any other club, and that and that isn't just in Buenos Aires, but it's throughout the country. So you know, if if Boca go and play a game hundreds and hundreds of kilometers away in the north of the country, uh, for, in a cup game, for example, they'll have thousands of supporters there. And you know, th- so this is something which goes throughout the country, and that's what makes this rivalry so much bigger. I mean, some of the games that I just mentioned there, some of the other big rivalries in the country. The passion in the Clásico in Rosario between Newells and Central it, it is is it is equal, but it's more or less restricted just to that city, um, which obviously isn't anywhere near the size of Buenos Aires to begin with. But also, it is just more or less restricted to that. While Boca and River not only extends throughout the enormous city that is Buenos Aires, but does actually go throughout the 
the whole country and even further afield because I think Bokken River have also accumulated supporters across Latin America and, and maybe even further afield than that. So with, with, all, with all that context you gave us, where would you rank uh, this uh, uh, rivalry Clasico uh, in cl- uh, club soccer across the world, if you could rank them? Oh, I'd rank it the biggest. I mean, I'm, people might think that I'm biased. That honestly, I I just think the the scenes and the the the, the rivalry, the passion that it produces, I it certainly can't be topped. So there's no way that anyone can convince me that um, El Clasico or Man United Liverpool or, or Galatasaray Fenerbahce or whatever it is, um, is bigger than Boca River. It's, 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 it's almost impossible to, to describe the significance of this game. And it, and it was why, when the two qualified for the final, why so many people thought, I'm not sure if the country and the two sets of supporters will be able to deal with this situation. And it proved absolutely correct. But So what exactly was the rationale when the two clubs made the final, why people were so concerned over the the two legs being played, and obviously the concern was very real in the in the way in which it panned out. Well, I mean, the security for any any derby would be huge, regardless. But it's worth bearing in mind that in Argentina, since two thousand and thirteen or two thousand and fourteen, um, we've had a a blanket a ban on away supporters since um, a Lanús support was killed by police in, in, in La Plata. So since then, visiting supporters haven't gone to other stadiums. So, for example, in, in this Libertadores final, even though there was some discussion about allowing away supporters, in the end, they agreed to keep it as the regulations would state in Argentina rather than Conmebol, which saw Boca have just their supporters in La Bombonera and River was supposed to have just their supporters in Monumental. Um, so... so that's worth bearing in mind when you want to consider sort of the dangers behind this game um, and really why, even though they did try and keep it as best they could to Argentinian regulations, I think um, with eventually the first leg being a draw, going to the second leg and it's still being almost like a one-off game in, in Monumental, um, there was too much riding on it, I think, ultimately. Neither side wanted to lose. I mean, this is 100 years of history, fierce rivalry, and yet this one instance was the biggest game in all of that history by some distance. This is the final of the Copa Libertadores, the biggest tournament in South America, um, the competition that every team in South America wants to win. And so this is the game that had either side lost. For another 100 years, they'd still be talking about this game. This will be the time that they met in the Copa Libertadores final and we won, you lost. So there was everything riding on this. Now, as our listeners know, uh, uh, the second leg of the Copa Libertadores was overshadowed with the bus attacks. And we want to get to those events, but we want to provide some context first. Peter, what is the current, uh, what are the current economic and political uh, situations like in Argentina right now? Um, yeah, I mean, poor. The, the economic situation has been bad for quite some time. Inflation is vast um, and progressively gets worse. So, um, and, and that obviously in turn leads to quite a tense political situation. 
um, which again it has been for years. So uh, that's the background. That's the backdrop of it. I don't know whether that directly has any relevance to this. I, I know I've read some people um, suggest that, but I honestly think this this game goes goes beyond that and just sits on its own right. It, do, it doesn't really require any more fuel to it. So, so if I'm understanding right, you, you don't think the the current situation, like the bus attacks, had anything to do with that? As some people reported, saying, "Well, look at the the political and economic situation. These fans were as much hating the club, but this was also a way to you know sh- share those emotions. I guess, for lack of a better term. Uh, I mean, not really. I think. I mean, in that we, we've had problems with Argentine football, and it's, it's, that's why I'm saying it's not specific to to this fixture. So some days earlier, there was a, a sort of riot. Police were getting chased out of uh, all, build, all Boys Stadium, which is a, a, a third-tier club in Buenos Aires. But, you know, this is football violence problems that go back years and years and years and years. So um, I think to tie it into to something and say, oh, but it's because the current political situation is odd, because you'd have to say that, in that case, that it's the current political situation that that's been the case for for many many years. Moving forward to the bus attack, I just could you explain? Because we only saw everything via media, so could you explain a little bit more how it all unfolded and how it really just you know I guess overtook the city and obviously overtook the footballing community. Yeah, I mean we still. There's a lot of conspiracy theories and uh, and what have you, and so we still don't know maybe the full details. All we all we do know is that Boca's bus had left their their team hotel, travelled from their team hotel towards the south of the city to towards the Monumental, which is probably ten kilometres or so to the north, um, and a few blocks from the stadium. Worth pointing out that that's sort of enough blocks to be outside of River's immediate security zone and therefore under the control of the city security, the police. Um, they turned down a street which, were, which was well known to be where a lot of River fans congregate and as it went past, got hit by a lot of stuff thrown, the windows got smashed. Um, and I think what was at least most commonly reported as the police were trying to disperse crowds and using all sorts like tear gas and that kind of thing, that then in turn got into the bus. So the images that we saw on the TV when the Boca bus had actually arrived at the Mon- Monumental, you know, saw Carlos Tevez and several others sort of choking, um, the reports of people vomiting and, uh, you know, and, and obviously the effects. So there was a cuts with the broken glass, the effects of that gas. Um, and, and that's kind of, all that we we saw for sure. So since then, there was obviously a lot of theories about how it was a revenge from the River Balabramas based on a on a raid earlier in the week, which had seen sort of three three or four hundred tickets seized and millions of pesos. Um, others about you know the, the the president of the country, Maurizio Macri, who used to be president of Boca, and therefore him being involved with the police and the police. And, like you know, purposefully taking the Boca bus into this area, all of that's conjecture. So the first part of what I said was, and what we saw on the TV was, was the fact. Now, Peter, I remember uh, I was waiting to watch the match 
Um, and then I we, we I saw the pictures on on social media, you know, of of Tevez, you know, looking unwell. Of uh, I think uh, Pablo Perez's eye, um, and it, but it seemed like for the longest time that people like that Colin Ball wanted the game to continue. Why why they push? Uh, if if you know why they push so hard for the game. Uh, to continue, even though the players obviously didn't want to play. And I think both managers came out saying, hey, uh, we won't play. Uh, or Ice Rivers managers came out saying, hey, we won't play if Boca doesn't want to play either. Uh, yeah, well, uh, I think the short answer would be money, um, as it always is, as it always is with, with Conmebol and FIFA. Um, and I think, you know, FIFA president Gianni Infantino was in the stadium. Um, this was a game which they had pushed in terms of marketing around to a global audience. Um, it was on a Saturday, a good time for those global audiences. A lot of t- television um, rights had been sold around the world. And, and then therefore, this was Conrable's chance to have their showcase event beamed around the world. So to, for this to happen, suddenly the players to be saying, look, we're not in any condition to play. We don't want to. Um, was, I think, what led Conrable to try and put their foot down and say, no, 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 you, you need to play, which, which was shameful. Um, and just another shameful episode, really, in in the whole whole way Conmebol dealt with this. Now, there was I, this is just I'm drawing a blank. I didn't write this question because it just came to me. But there was a player, and I, I think he was he might have been on River Plate or even Boca, one of the two. But there was a player basically saying that Argentinian football is being overrun. And you know, moving the final to another country, which it ended up being in in Spain, was another example of how Argentinian football continues to be overtaken. Is that the, is that the feeling a lot of these players had when they found out the game will be moved to Europe overseas? Uh, I don't know about the players, but I certainly think that would be a, a very common theme among the, your average football supporter in Argentina who over years of, of poor um, administration and corruption have seen the Argentinian Football Association make a, a series of, of terrible decisions that's affected the game. Um, that obviously goes up the ladder to Conmebol as well. Um, so I think the, the, move to, to, the move to the final to, to Spain was kind of the final, well, uh, maybe not a final, unfortunately, but a, certainly a significant um, kicking the, you know what, um, and uh, I think, you know, it, it, again, it, it goes back to money. I think because ultimately, this was the last year we have two, um, Copa a, a two-legged Copa Libertadores final. Which, you know, for, again, if you speak to anyone in South America, they strongly favour that system because it gives the opportunity for um, supporters to actually see their club in a in a Copa Libertadores final. The vast um, distances in South America, um, if you then switch to a, a one-game tournament in a neutral place, um, potentially rules out thousands of supporters that go to the see their team every week from not being able to see their team in, in the biggest game in their history. So there's there's that already. We all, that, but you know the decision's already been taken to, to move that to one. Um, and then this, in this year's to to to, warm, to virtually be able to say, okay, well now we do have a one-off because the first leg was two-two. So, like, let's go to the Bernabeu and sell it there again. And you know, it it all kind of stinks a little bit 
um, when they were already in place to, um, to to do that anyway. And I think in the future, I wouldn't, wouldn't be surprised if we if we see more of that to see, uh, you know, the Copa Libertadores final being sold to the highest bidder. Peter, how close was the game uh, uh, being moved to the Middle East? I know I heard rumors of that. I think I heard like exuberant either Qatar Airways or Etihad. Uh, offering lots of uh, money to the winner and loser in order to have the game played, uh, I forgot, in either Qatar or the UAE. But how close was that to actually uh, fruition? By all reports, pretty close. I think, uh, again, they needed somewhere to, to play it. They also had the, the sort of backup there as well of, of suggesting that the reason why they might do it is because it's closer to where the Club World Cup's to be played. So, because that starts in uh, just, well, just a few days. The idea was well, we can we can have both teams out there play the final of the Copa Libertadores, and then the winner can stay out for the Club World Cup. So, they, so at least with that, they had, they had that. But I think in reality, everyone saw through it, and it was actually, as you mentioned, Qatar Airways or whoever else was was funding it, just to, as they do with a lot of sporting events in the Middle East, to say, okay, we'll we'll put the money in and bring the game here. Um, so I think, yeah, in answer to the, into your question specifically, I think it was quite close. Um, and by all accounts, it was only when when sort of FIFA stepped in and said, "How about using Madrid?" And you know they've got the security in place to be able to do it that it finally settled on a on a location. So talk about the game, I guess, on the field. The, the two teams had a two-two draw going into the second leg. What were the expectations? I know, obviously, we know what the result is now, but being away from home, who do you think held the advantage after the bus tag? Yeah, I don't know if you could say. I think River, as a result, lost their advantage, um, was all you could say. But I don't know if, if you'd say, as a result, that anyone took any real advantage into the game. I think um, uh, River's hindrance, I think, was, biggest hindrance was the fact that Rafael Santos Borre, the, the Colombian forward, got booked in the first leg. So he was suspended for this one. Um, but other than that, play, the, the two teams had players back um, from injury, more or less. Um, they're you know more or less picking their their best sides, um, and because it was in a neutral venue with home and away supporters, uh, yeah, there was no idea, there was no real sense of someone going into this as favourites. So it it did sort of in a way help Commonwealth be able to push this as like la grande finale as they as they were so as they dubbed it, um, because it was able to take on just a very much a sense of a one-off final in a in a neutral location. Peter, what'd you make a Quintero strike uh, in extra time? That was phenomenal. Yeah, I mean, he's a, such a, a great player and such a joy to watch. Um, it's always frustrating, um, for, you know, as a, as a non-River fan, when, he, when for me, when he's not in the starting eleven because I, I love watching him play. Um, he's just someone that can make things happen with his, his eye for a pass ordinarily. Um, and, you know, just his little drops to the shoulder to, to give him the space. So, Although you wouldn't necessarily pencil him in as, as the, the match winner, um, you know, his goal today was sensational. Just gave him that tiny little pocket of space on the edge of the box and that one touch to set himself and devastating strike. So moving forward, what does the victory mean for River Plate and coming back to Argentina? And what will Argentina do to ensure that nothing like, well, that's kind of hard to say now, but, you know, future events are, are more tamed? Um, well, the, the first part of that, I would say, for River, it, it, it means everything still. It's the fourth time they've won the Copa Libertadores. 
um, they, I don't think they'll they'll be looking at this as, as anything other than just another a great triumph. Um, I think for the rest of the country, it's it's going to forever be a tournament which was tainted, um, you know, and not and not just by the final, the fact that it ended up in Madrid, the fact that there was the bus attack, and you know, Bok is obviously probably still going to go to the court of arbitration for sport to to contest the fact that they were even having to play the second leg, but you know, before that. There was a series of very questionable um, bar decisions. There was also the, the, the whole mess surrounding um, suspended players and, and Conable not correctly telling clubs of suspension, suspended players and then therefore ineligible players playing in games and teams getting awarded walkovers, other teams not being punished. So the whole this year's the whole of this year's tournament was a mess prior to the final. So in many ways, it got the final it deserved. Um, but I think as a result, it's, it's going to be a year which for a lot of people, it's kind of like, you know, I just want to forget about this because it was just a terrible, terrible advert for South American football. Uh, and what was the second part of that question? Like sort of how Argentina moved forward? Yeah, just what does this mean? I mean, a, a lot of conversation, at least here in America, is about, oh, maybe MLS should market to these players that the conditions here in America are safer and they're better, and I just don't know if that's a big selling point to some of these players yeah. because they love their club so much. No, I think it is. Um, I think it is a, this quality of life. I think it, it is a is a factor, and I think it is something that you can sell to players from an MLS standpoint. Um, you know, and, it, and that that's not just um, because of crowd violence per mm -hmm. se, but sort of security in general in the city. Um, those economic factors that we mentioned earlier. Um, are obviously a big a big factor. Um, clubs not paying on time, um, you know, all, all of this kind of professionalism that within the AMLS has an advantage in that sense. And, you know, the league controls the pay, so there's no there's no factors there of the, the club sort of not having the money. So um, that is a big selling point. Um, whether Argentina can really do anything to to improve their act is is a much bigger question, and I think I would be one of the majority to be very skeptical that they will um, you know that the problem with football violence has been one that's been around for years shows no sign of of um, being under control um, I think the attitude after the river attack um, and the fact that no one really has been held accountable for it uh, suggests that and, I, and, I, and that's the thing I think mean, unless you have all the clubs all of the um, the clubs, Commonwealth, AFA, the police, the government make a joint effort to try and stamp out um, the, the problem, then then it's not going to go away. Uh, so unfortunately, I think for Argentine football, it will remain the same. But as you mentioned, though, it is probably um, a boost for, for a club, for a league like MLS to, um, to offer an alternative. And I want to follow up with the M MLS point, uh, you know, with the, uh the rise of you know South American players in Major League Soccer. I mean, we saw Atlanta win MLS Cup yesterday uh, with Tata Martino as head coach, and they're looking to potentially attract another uh, South American. Do you think every every team in MLS kind of has that appeal uh, for maybe some players in Argentina, or is it specific few such as an Atlanta United or you know the team that kind of has like a South American feel? I think that helps certainly to sell the, the sell the club. I think Atlanta had money 
which was obviously an important factor being like a sort of relatively new franchise. Um, they were able to use not only Tata's knowledge, but yeah, his profile to, to attract South American players. And then obviously once one or two come in, um, and certainly more, even more so once they've had once the club has success, then then it opens the door to others because they'll they'll look at that and say, okay, well, you know, I've seen players go there and thrive. So uh, that's one factor. Then, and then obviously there there are other factors in terms of the location of the club. I think you know places like LA or, or New York um, are going to have an, an attraction of their own, um, more so than perhaps some of some of the less and lesser-known cities in, in the middle of the states, and you know that's and that's not me being negative towards any of those places, but I just think if if you're um, a South American footballer with the opportunity to go and live and play in somewhere like New York over I don't know Columbus or something, um, then then there's an obvious attraction there. And I, I'm not, as I say, I'm not being, being negative towards Columbus, um, but. There's, there is a there's an advantage, say, to being located in somewhere somewhere like New York. Don't, don't worry, Peter. We've said a, on this show at least we've said a lot about Columbus. So, Peter, we, we really appreciate the insight. I think this was a fascinating uh, development, obviously coming from Argentina, because it suddenly was, oh, let's talk about Argentinian football, and people don't realize this this isn't just a one off thing. This has a, a history of fans going back and forth and really want to thank you for your time and just give you an opportunity to go ahead and just plug you know your work and your site and anything else that you do uh yeah i mean it's been a pleasure but um yeah i mean what you mentioned earlier to be honest if, if you go to my twitter which is at golazo argentino uh yeah you'll see all the stuff i do there so you know the, the link to the sites there um when I, whenever i get around to recording the podcast the links are on there um so yeah i mean that, that's enough. <laughs> I'm not, not, one for, not really one for self-direction. No, we understand. Th- thanks again, Peter. Thank you. Uh, all right, pleasure. Well, well, Armand. That was uh, just very fascinating. I've had, I, you know, I, I've had a couple people from Argentina talk about Boca versus River, but... I don't think people understand the historical meaning behind a rivalry like that. And it's not just to say it's Boca River. I mean, it's just Argentinian football in general. I just want to say, like, I don't know what it is with uh, me and being right recently. Oh, my but, God. But but I am. I think I said on the show, either on a show or in, or in private, that uh, MLS could offer something to Argentinian football, and Steven was like, nah. No, I was just a little hesitant. Uh, I just don't know. If the- I, I think I, MLS, and I think Almiron came from Lanis. I think I mentioned this on the, before the interview uh, with Argentina. And look, uh, with Pity Martinez, potentially, he's a star, guys. I don't think you guys understand. This guy's a star. He could be going to Europe right now and have an immediate impact. He's coming to Atlanta United. Overall, Argentinian football might be infiltrated by MLS in terms of MLS looking to pick up talent from there because it's a little underrated over there. And, you know, um, a, a lot a lot of things that MLS can offer, Argentinian football just can't. Well, I, I think MLS has a lot to offer, but so does Europe. Like, let's not get wrong. Let's not say MLS right, is right, better right, than right, Europe. Right, 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 right. It's more of if you're not good enough to go to Europe, but you're, like, better, you're really yes. good, 
yeah. you can you can move on, and then and, you can use that to go to Europe. And I I think we're still waiting for that player to make that big jump. Now Almarone, if he goes and you know is somewhat successful at Newcastle and he gets a deal there, or whatever, whoever, wherever, wherever, whoever, then I think the floodgates open. Now it's just you know it's just baby steps before you can start to go down and nag all these excellent players. I mean, the game itself was fun to watch. I, I know Peter said the first half was a bit slow, but the goals were just beautiful. I mean, you know, South American football is some, something else to watch sometimes. I mean, you can see all, it with... All the, all the styles are so distinct, man. Yeah. Like, that's the thing that blows my mind. You go watch MLS, it's not like Liga MX, and it's not like Premier League, and it's not like uh, football in Argentina or South America. They're all so different. And I think that's what makes... I know I might be a little uh, cliche, but it makes what soccer so unique is you have all these different unique playing styles. So you're seeing it's like you go to Mexico, you're going to see a much more rougher, uh, a much more rougher, you know, fast tempo game. I think MLS is kind of like that, but a much lesser scale. Um, we well, see it in Europe, Europe you're, too. You, you're, you see so many different aspects. I just, I just find it like you, you, what Atlanta and Portland is not going to be like it's going to be on. Uh, it's gonna. It's already gonna already happen by the time the show comes out. Pumas and America in Ligia. It's not gonna be the same. I, I find. I, I always find that phenomenal every single time I think about that. But the game was great. But it felt like a Champions League final, you know, Stephen. Like mm-hmm. that one-off neutral venue. Um, and I think honestly, FIFA really pushed for this neutral venue match, just out, outside the uh, the country, the federation's lines, to I think test out, you know. Put the Champions League in America. Put it at MetLife. I really hope they don't. But oh, no, they, no, they could, no, 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 no. I mean, the Champions League is already not being, well, they already predetermined the location. So if it happens to be in Madrid and Real Madrid get there, the ticket allocation is still split up between the two clubs. So Right, um, right, right. But, I, but, I, but I, outside of Confederation. Yeah, no, you're, you're right in that regard. I just don't know... That Europe, real Europe will do it because of money. While you know Argentina will have the dollar sign, obviously carry a lot of weight. But there's also security reasons and and a ton of other influences that make that determination. While in Europe, security is not that big of a threat, depending majority of the time. Now you do have cases, you do have instances in Europe where like a Liverpool travel to Belgrade and Shakiri because the game is played in Serbia. Did not make the travels because he didn't want the the tension. So uh, there are instances in Europe where, yeah, the, the people and security is a threat. It's just not like anything in Argentina. And MLS should should really push the, you know, not safety, but just more of the the fact that there is um, not peace. Armand, I'm looking for a proper word here. Just just like calm, consi- like consistency, like, like civility, civility, yeah. Uh, and, and it's something that will be intriguing to see where we go. I agree. I, I have no idea where it's going to go. Um, but this was a big stain on Argentina football and what wasn't exciting. I was, to be honest with you, I wasn't that excited for the game anymore, to be quite honest with you. When we found out about the final, I mean, I know you, me, and Jake were excited. Twitter was excited. Uh, everybody was talking about it. I mean, but I, yeah, but I, and, and you know, now, if, you, if you know soccer, you know the name Boca Juniors and River Plate. Yeah, if you don't, then you need to work on that. 
Anyway, listeners, follow us on Twitter, Uncle Sam Soccer Pod. This was an Uncle Sam Soccer Podcast special. We'll be back to the normal next episode. The available AKG 36 speaker sound system in the Cadillac Escalade provides 360 degree sound, not just here or here, but everywhere. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade never stop arriving. Regina King for Cadillac Escalade. When people ask, Regina, do you like to compete? I say, bring it on. Those are the moments that drive you to achieve more. And when you win, you keep reaching higher. To me, that's what the Cadillac Escalade represents. It's always evolving in technology, in design, everything. Because success isn't the end. It's just the first step to what comes next. The 2021 Cadillac Escalade. Never stop arriving.